I'm actually I'm trained as a ghostwriter. Um, I, I used to write speeches for, for President Trump, for uh, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, um, people like that. That's why I was in Washington, D.C. And I've had the pleasure of working on several books, but this is the first one under my own name. And um, it, it really comes down to why I wrote it. Um, I'm, I'm a Catholic. I, I love the church. I converted almost 10 years ago now, coming up this Easter. And, um, you know, as, as I grew in my faith and um, came to see the church a little bit more deeply in its, in its current state, I recognize there's a bit of a crisis, uh, you know, one that I maybe wasn't aware of when I first converted or wasn't aware of as profoundly. Um, there just seemed to be a lot, of, a lot of confusion, oftentimes doctrinal confusion. Obviously, there's uh, abuse, um, and, and many times it's perpetrated by the hierarchy, um, which, which is a distressing thing as a Catholic. You know, you want to love your priest, your bishop, your pope, uh, we should, of course. Um, you want to respect them. You want to obey them. But sometimes there's tension. So I, I wanted to figure out how to deal with that. How, how, as a Catholic, am I supposed to deal with a prelate who may be saying the wrong things or doing the wrong things or even sometimes acting in overtly un-Catholic ways? Uh, but how should I respond in a Catholic way? So the best way I figured to do that was to look at the lives of saints. And, and that's really what this book did. Yeah. I, I recently did a video for, a, uh, I'm a big devotee of St. Thomas Aquinas. And uh, as you probably know, St. Thomas Aquinas asks the question about uh, correcting prelates in the Summa Theologia. And he puts it actually under uh, the category of charity, you know, where we do have an obligation and doing it in the right way and, you know, not overboard. But uh, so it's actually an act of charity to be honest about things and also be you know, concerned about the, the, the state of their souls because, of course, we all know that anybody could can go to heaven or hell, including prelates, including popes. And so this really is, is, is an act of charity uh, to be able to be honest about what we are seeing in the church, right? Uh, absolutely. And, and if you go through the book, um, it's, it kind of draws from all of these different stories. And, and a lot of them can seem very diverse or even contradictory in the way that that saints reacted to certain situations. But we try to, my co-author and I, his name is Joshua Charles. We try to bring it all together in the conclusion. And, um, you know, anybody who looks at the footnotes or who has a, a Thomistic uh, education will see Thomas Aquinas <laughs> spread throughout it. Yeah. Uh, Cause it really does. It's, it's a mixture of, of uh, charity and, and obedience. Um, and in many ways, justice too. Uh, we, we have to, we have to love all of those around us, and that includes our superiors, those, those above us within the church, um, uh, who, you know, we need to care about their souls, and if they're an heir, that's, that's a grave concern. And we also need to worry about those um, who, who also look to them, who learn from them, who are taught by them, who may be led astray by them. Their souls matter, too. So clarity, especially in, in doctrinal and moral matters, we, it, it, it is a great concern because it can lead people one way or another. And we know where those we know where each road goes. Yeah. And I love this uh, approach because, you know, like you said at the beginning, uh, you know, you want to respect uh, the, the popes, the bishops, the priests. And uh, and so there's no ill will here. But I'm just thinking, you know, uh, it doesn't make much sense for us to be like, oh, everything's great. Everything, nothing to see here. You know, we, we've got to be honest. So let me having said that you you talk about 11 of the greatest Catholics in history, canonized saints in some cases, who suffered persecution by their superiors. Can, can you give us a few examples, uh, just to give us some historical context, that this isn't brand new in the history of the Church? It's, it's certainly not new, and I have to admit, um, there, there were more options than we chose for the book, let's put it that way. 
Um, but we can stretch it all the way back. I, I mean, we start with Jesus. Uh, obviously, he's not a saint. He's the king of saints. But uh, he himself was persecuted by the religious leaders of his time, whom he, whom he called on, on his followers to obey. Uh, you know, the Pharisees, the, uh, the high priests, these, these are the very people that, that um, you know, put him on the road to his death, sending him over to Pontius Pilate to be, to be crucified. And it's almost straight along. Uh, we have stories of St. Paul and, and the troubles he faced within the church. Um, not, you know, there's famous stories like him rebuking the Pope, uh, St. Peter, in, um, in Galatians. But there's other controversies he had with uh, St. James, uh, the Bishop of Jerusalem, that we get into. Um, there's uh, St. Athanasius, uh, St. Joan of Arc, Thomas More and John Fisher. Uh, Padre Pio. I mean, these are just some of the bigger names in here. There's even some less known ones, but essentially we got a very Catholic list here. We go from the first century of the church all the way to the 20th uh, and, um, you know, cover, you know, North Africa and Europe and the Americas and Australia, you name it. Uh, it's, it's not really hard to find saints who have been persecuted by the church. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Padre Pio and that's one that I'm uh, familiar with. I, I actually was alive for two years while Padre Pio was alive. I think he died in 1969. And so he's a, he's a very modern uh, saint. His story is remarkable in the sense that, and, and if you, maybe you can fill in some of the blanks here, you know, he was wrongly accused of a number of things, but instead of rebelling and protesting and writing letters, kind of like Martin Luther did, uh, he, he he basically kind of accepted it, right? And kind of in 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 looking at the big picture, or well, can you give us a little bit more details about Padre Pio in, in particular? Mm-hmm. Padre Pio was was a picture of of humility and obedience, and um, I think it's very worthwhile just to note at the outset what what the root of his difficulties with the hierarchy were. Um, they were directed against him personally. Um, there were people in the hierarchy who thought he was a fraud, who thought he was leading people to um, uh, be overzealous in, un- in un-Catholic ways. And um, in many ways, their concerns, uh, you know, I- I'm not going to call them justified, but they could be understandable. Uh, the punishments against him were not. They-, they were extreme. He was banned from celebrating Mass publicly. He was banned from hearing confessions. He was banned at times from even speaking with lay people. He was barred from speaking with his spiritual director. I mean, the the, the the limits imposed upon him were, were harsh and unjust, um, but they were against him in particular. And I think that matters because uh, oftentimes people can look to, to St. Padre Pio and say, well, he obeyed. He was quiet. He was silent. He obeyed. And that's true. But it's, it, was, it was particular to his circumstance. He had a higher level of obedience called, uh, he was called to a higher level of obedience being a monk. Um, but he, he also was only facing injustice, injustices against himself. Um, that being said, it was heroic. It was absolutely heroic. And, and I myself, I recognize myself, I would never be able to get a tenth of, of where he did um, to endure the injustices done against him, the, the calumny spread about him, and to do so in silence and with love. Um, I, I was reading his letters, and at one point he wrote, uh, you know, you can transit the Italian in different ways, but sweet is the hand of the church even when she strikes us. What a beautiful and holy way to look at what ultimately was a cross, to, to see the redemptive nature of it, even when it comes from, from those closest to us. So this is a beautiful, beautiful testimony. Yeah, and uh, my, my guest is Alec Torres, uh, by the way. His book is called Persecuted from Within, How the Saints Endured Crises in the Church. And this is the interview of the week. Thanks for joining us. And 
you know, I, I think it, it, to take it to the modern day, Alec, we, we see a lot of people concerned about the very foundation of the, you know, eternal truths, the truths that have been passed down since, you know, the time of the apostles. And some people are thinking, gosh, are, are these going to change? You know, what, what's going on right now? Can you speak on that in, in regard to the, the official teaching of the church that we believe that the, 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 the dogmas and doctrines of the church never change, but a lot of people are looking at the current situation thinking, wow, are these all up for grabs? Well, what should a person think? It is quite scandalous that that's even in the public consciousness right now, and for good reason. I, I, there, are, there are people who are very much trying to make it seem like the church can change its teaching. They're overt about it. Um, I don't think we need to name names for listeners because oftentimes you can just pull it up. Sometimes it's entire national bishop conferences, almost entire national bishop conferences, and it's it's a bit terrifying. Um, I think if we looked at it in human terms, we would wonder how the church could survive, and it's only because we recognize it as instituted by Christ and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it that we can have faith to see this through. But one of the things I learned with the saints was that they were they were meek, they were silent, they were obedient, and all circumstances in which in which the crimes were done against themselves personally. The moment the crime was committed against the truths of the church, our eternal doctrines, the magisterium of, of the Holy Mother Church, that is when they became lions of Judah. That is when they spoke out uh, and, and even suffered greatly for the sake of the truth. Um, to pull just uh, one example from the book, um, a beautiful one, is St. John Fisher. Who, who lived during the reign of Henry VIII in uh, England when he was separating from Rome and, and erecting uh, um, the false church of England. And this was a grave scandal, not only to, to the people, not only in civil government, but pretty much the entire ecclesial hierarchy, at least every single major person, major churchman within England, within um, Britain, was turning against the Pope, was turning against the true church including people who were hierarchically above St. John Fisher, but he did not let that stop him. He, he spoke clearly, eloquently, and forcefully against the crimes being done, even against what was said by his superiors. And, um, and he was martyred for it in the end, but it was, it was a beautiful witness, and the church honors him in the highest regard. Now he's, he's a saint in heaven, of course. So that's when we see that, that this really matters, that, that we have to stand up for the truths of the faith, um, it's, it's not a question of, of should we, but we must. Yeah, that, that's true. I, I, I see what you're really kind of getting at here is, you know, we, we remain obedient, but that doesn't mean we just, you know, lie back and say, oh, God's going to take care of this. There is a certain element of action, you know, correction of errors. So the typical person listening right now, you know, may not have a, a powerful presence on social media or teaching, a, you know, have an authoritative position in the church. So what's your average person supposed to do in light of everything we've been talking about? Well, certainly our first call is, is obedience is one of the highest Christian virtues. Christ demonstrated that the most, and our ultimate obedience is to God. Um, so when we have to be able, we have to have the wherewithal through, through prayer, um, through study, uh, reading of scriptures, holy reading, communion with the saints. We have to be able to recognize when, our leaders are contradicting the truth, God's truth, the truth that he has expressed through his church through the ages. Um, so that's number one. We have, to, we have to study up, and it's our responsibility. Um, but the second um, part of that is 
is that we all have some authority in some regard. Um, we all have people whom we are in relationship with. And, and even if we don't have a giant platform, we're not, we're not on TV or, or, you know, have tens of thousands of followers on social media. We have a mother and a father. More, more likely than not, we have brothers and sisters. We have friends, nieces, nephews, fellows in our church, uh, school, uh, people in our school, uh, coworkers, um, all people who can be confused, Catholic and not, who may walk away wondering, well, wait, does the Catholic church approve of same-sex unions now? Uh, well, well, wait, does the church approve of, of getting married and divorced now? And they'll have these questions. And if we allow them to go along in air, um, even if it's not truly what the church has taught, even if it's not truly what the Pope or our bishop has taught, but they're just led astray by, by the confusion that's endemic within uh, the media culture and within our society, it's our obligation to be able to describe to them and tell them honestly and with great charity what's correct. Um, and if we save one soul that way, my thought with this book was if I, if I can help one soul who is going to leave the church to stay or who is reticent about the church and then to have the strength to join and, and to join Christ's legions, then it was worth it because that one soul matters immensely, matters infinitely to God. So that's our place in this. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I, I think uh, from what you told me before we started, I think your kids are probably younger than mine, but I've got uh, a couple teenage daughters. I've got a 10 year old son. And from a, you know, a, a position as a father and a, the chief educator of my, my, my children, especially in religious matters, it's, it's kind of tough, isn't it? Because uh, it seems like we said before that a few things are up to up for grabs. Well, what's your advice for parents um, uh, who are trying to, you know, pass on the truths of the church to their kids? Well, I, I can't claim to be practicing this one at the moment, but my kids are also rather young and they can't sit still. For, <laughs> well, one of them can barely even sit. So, you know, that's how young they are. However, the best advice that I've heard, and I've, I've asked many men, because, you know, when I had children, I wanted to know, well, what did it take to be a good father? And these are men whom I saw their kids remain Catholic, were faithful, were practicing the faith through high school into college and beyond. And they told me the same thing. Um, they said, pray the rosary together as a family. Uh, and there's something we we open up a, a, a wellspring of graces into our lives and into our homes when we meditate upon Christ's life with the help of Our Lady. Um, so so that's I, that's a foundational one. We're putting our we're putting our trust in God in that and and asking Him to work through His graces, if not through our own efforts. And it does take effort, truly. But but it's not like we're creating some educational program for our kids. Um, but as we do that, I, I don't think there's anything better second to, to, to that than simply living a life of, of an example, living out an example of daily faith. Uh, our kids will, will gain much more knowledge about what it means to be a true Catholic by the way that we converse with people, by how we go to Mass, if we go to Mass, how we pray, if we pray, if, if God, if, if Christ if Our Lady and of the Saints are the theme of our conversations and, and the, the, the source of our, of our strength within our, in our lives. That's, not, that's something you can't fake. That's something that they see, and it's a very powerful example. Yes. Persecuted from Within, How the Saints Endured, Crises in the Church is the name of the book. The author is Alec Torres, a uh, local uh, gentleman. He, is, uh, he, he and his family are, are members of St. Benedict Parish in Fort Worth, the uh, Latin Mass Parish in the Diocese of Fort Worth. And uh, Alec, I know the book's been out for a little bit. You probably have had time to get some reaction, people who have read it. Uh, what, what overall kind of response and reaction are you getting from the book so far? 
Well, one of the most uh, common reactions I've gotten is people are a little bit surprised. Um, they, they look at the title, uh, they look at the cover, and they think one of two things, or sometimes both. They think, oh, no, this is going to be some angry screed and uh, <laughs> very bitter and antagonistic. Or they think, wow, this is going to be extremely depressing. <laughs> and I don't know if I want to sit around with a depressing book, at least before Let came around. Um, but they, those who read the book, they end up finding that um, – you know, my, my co-author and I, we, we wrote this with a lot of prayer. We, we, we don't want to, we don't want to write from a source of anger um, or with any bitterness towards, towards those whom we think are doing wrong, but out of a source of love. And we hope that shows. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it also shows in this that Christ is victorious. And that's what's hopeful. Um, we can see time and again, heirs among the clergy um, abuses uh, among the highest levels of the hierarchy, grave sins, and and done against innocent people, and yet God always brings out from that glory. Um, I mean, it's just time and time again. You just see Easter come after Good Friday, and people walk away from it thinking, "Okay, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't understand it fully. I can't figure out how in the world we're ever going to get out of this mess." But God has gotten us out of messes before. So it gives them strength and it's given me strength to just be faithful and, and know that God will see us through. Yeah, I, I think this might be a kind of a, a talking somebody off the cliff kind of book. You know, I, I have a, a very good friend uh, who is a bit younger than me, but uh, I have had text conversations and phone conversations with him when he he has literally said, man, I'm and not only does he want to leave the church, but he also even went into like agnosticism and atheism because of the exact stuff we're talking about. He's like, and he just, and, and a book like yours seems to be a great, uh, you know, maybe a medicine for him to kind of talk these people off the cliff who feel like there's no hope. The church has lost its way. Have you, and especially as a convert yourself, have you found that, the, that it's been helpful in that regard? Absolutely. I, I'm just to speak personally, I, I have a, a cousin whom, uh, you know, I, I converted in 2014. She was actually confirmed at a very young age, uh, but was poorly catechized and, and pretty immediately fell away from the church. And she shocked me saying that she, she was thinking about coming back, had, had started up with RCIA. But every couple of weeks now we have a call and she'll come back to me and just say, I don't know, I, I thought that maybe I should stop going. I just don't know if I can take this or that. And, and usually it's not even anything doctrinal it's it's not you know teachings about contraceptives or or you know teachings about gay marriage or any of the flashpoints that you'd think it usually always boils down to i just don't know what this pope is doing or oh my gosh the, this priest came by and he was telling me this this and that and i and i thought i don't know if i want to believe that and usually i hear it and i think Ugh, i don't know if i believe that either but she sees what she sees is people in authority who she, who she thinks are, are wrong or she's very uncertain about and she thinks as a Catholic, you just kind of have to, you know, the old saying, pray, pay, and obey. And, uh, and she's uncomfortable with that. So I sent her the book and I'm, I'm so far, it seems to be, it seems to be helping her to see that there's a lot more nuance in this and there's a lot more hope in it too. Uh, it's easy to look at these things in worldly terms. And if you look at it that way, then sure, there is no hope, but with Christ, there's always hope. Yeah. I think of that Bible passage about the gates of hell shall never prevail against the church. And, uh, you know, right out of the, 
I think the, the, the lips of Jesus, you know, the, his very words uh, that the, the gates of hell are never going to prevail. It's, it's a wonderful book. I'm so glad you've written it. Uh, Persecuted from Within, How the Saints Endured Crises in the Church, Alec Torres. Uh, just enough time here. I, I hear <laughs> those kids in the background. I, I actually, yeah, I, I, love, I love when I hear, you know, parenthood, you know, in, in display during interviews. So no problem at all with that. <laughs> uh, and uh, let's see, how, how can people get the book? What are the options? Uh, well, I, I definitely recommend that folks go to the publisher, Sophia Institute Press. I, I love it when folks support uh, our Catholic publishers out there. Um, it, the problems aren't going away, so uh, you don't need it in two-day shipping. If you, if you have to wait a little while, it's okay. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's also on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. It's, it's all over the place. <laughs> Yeah. What about Catholic bookstores? Do are you, are you, do you know if any of them are, I'm thinking like Little Angels and Capel. I bet you they would carry it. Is it in any local Catholic you know, bookstores? I, I, I know that they are at many Catholic bookstores. I can't say any in particular. Um, Capel is harder for me. I live out West, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm closer to Weatherford than any place else. So, uh, you know, that's a bit of a hike for me, but yeah. it certainly doesn't hurt to look. I, I can't tell anybody with firm conviction know where it's going to be. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I always kind of like the hierarchy. I always say, Hey, go support the Catholic bookstores. And then, uh, like you said, the, uh, the actual publisher is a, uh, is a great way to go. And then if all else fails, go to that, uh, company that begins with an A and <laughs> the, the big yeah. clearinghouse, right? Uh, Alec, th- thanks. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate, uh, that you've written the book and that you've spent some time with us. Uh, God bless you and your, your young family. Uh, also, again, want to thank Carlos Crespo. Uh, he is, um, uh, works with uh, Chesterton Academy uh, in Fort Worth. And thank him for the suggesting this interview. And I know he's probably listening to this. So thank you, Carlos. All right, Alec, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, and best of luck and prayers uh, for the book. And uh, maybe we'll talk again. Uh, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks. And uh, thanks to Cecil Anderson for running the board. Thank you all for listening. And uh, if you'd like to be like uh, Carlos, uh, let me know about other opportunities. Uh, most of almost almost all of these interviews are done because somebody emails me and says, hey, <clears throat> I got an idea. It makes my job a whole lot easier. So uh, if you want, if you have a suggestion for a future interview of the week, just email me directly. Dave Palmer at GRN online. God bless you and thank you for listening. Santa Clara of Assisi Catholic Academy in Dallas is a sponsor of the Guadalupe Radio Network. They're a faith-filled community and dual-language pre-K through 8th grade academy where your child will grow spiritually and academically. Contact Principal Laura Watson at 214-333-9423 to schedule a tour and enroll your child for the 2024 to 2025 school year. That's 214-333-9423 or email lwatson at santaclaraacademy.org. To learn more about Santa Clara of Assisi Catholic Academy, visit their website, santaclaraacademy.org. Hi, this is Dave Palmer. Friday morning, February 23rd on the Morning Joy radio show, the winning ticket was drawn for the GRN car raffle. The winner of the 2024 Mercedes-Benz GLB 250 was Maria, who lives in South Texas. Maria purchased five pay-it-forward tickets and put her husband's name on one of them. And so the winner, thanks to Maria, is Julian, her husband. We are so thankful for all of you who supported the GRN car raffle. Thank you and may God bless you. 
Welcome to this edition of the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network here in North Texas. I am happy that you are with us uh, on this Saturday afternoon. My name is Dave Palmer, uh, Executive Director of the station, and I've said many times I love doing these interviews. I just love meeting new people, hearing about cool and uh, awesome things happening in the local Catholic Church. I want to thank Cecil for uh, running the board for me today. And uh, today I, I am going to be interviewing a gentleman in studio by the name of Michael Drake. Uh, he and his uh, wife, Melissa, are the proud parents of seven children, uh, ranging in age from 13 to 3. They are uh, prisoners at Modern Day uh, Latin Mass Parish in Irving. Uh, he is uh, professionally a software engineer, but as you're going to find out in the next 25 minutes, he also is a musician, and uh, he is has organized a really, really cool event uh, that's going to happen kind of towards the end of uh, the Lent period. Uh, it's a, a sacred music concert and premiere of St. Luke's Passion uh, for a choir and s- string quartet coinciding with a penance service and individual confessions. It's Wednesday, March 20th beginning at 7 p.m., and it's going to be at the Church of the Incarnation on the campus of the University of Dallas. The The whole purpose is to foster devotion to the sacred passion of Jesus and to kindle, and kindle contrition for sin, and uh, it is absolutely free, so there's no charge. Uh, so, uh, Michael Drake, thank you very much for coming in and for your patience, because I know we've been uh, talking about this. In fact, you emailed me months ago, and I said, hey, let's let's hold off till the spring, but uh, anyways, it's winter. But th- thanks for coming in. Nice nice to meet you. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you and a pleasure to be able to do this. Uh, I'm uh, delighted to be able to speak to all of your listeners and to just talk a little bit about uh, uh, the St. Luke's Passion and what it's about. And, uh, you know, hopefully you can come and see it and, and benefit from it spiritually during this Lent, uh, especially as it pertains to drawing uh, us in our attention towards the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ and, you know, having, yes, sorrow for sin, but also to to give him love and to, to think about uh, how much he has done for us and how we can better live our Catholic faith and um, uh, just have a, a good uh, Lent going into Holy Week uh, and you know, foster a greater devotion in our own hearts uh, and, and greater love for Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. Well said. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. I gave a little bit of uh, biographical details there about your family and uh, where you go to church, and what you do professionally. But mm-hmm. uh, have you always had an interest and a talent for music from the time you were a kid or how, how did uh, how did this start? Yeah, well, uh, I think that's pr- true. Uh, I can definitely say that I've been blessed with talent more than skill. Uh, and What's so, the difference? Well, the difference is that talent is what God gives you. Okay. Uh, and skill is what you do to foster and and in, you know build on that talent. Okay. But uh, you know I could definitely give credit to God primarily for the ability of to write music. Uh, it's something that is in a way innate in a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just ab- about myself, I've been a uh, native Texan. Uh, uh, grew up here in uh, Greenville, Texas, is where I uh, uh, originally am from, and I've pretty much lived here all my life. I was briefly a seminarian at uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe Seminary in Denton, Nebraska, with the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, but that was only for about four or five months. 
uh, I pretty quickly discerned it was not my vocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm a member of the Modern Day Parish here in Dallas. So aside from you know a few little little excursions here and there, I'm pretty much from this area, and uh, a lot of my music has to do with uh, the parish there at Modern Day. But yes, as a child, I did have uh, uh, some musical education, uh, some at school, but primarily through piano lessons. Uh, you know, from about six years old or so through my teenage years. Uh, and I, uh, you know, I kind of concentrated a lot on uh, Beethoven, Chopin. That was kind of my interest at the time. Uh, I think my <laughs> piano teacher, though, commented that uh, I would want to uh, change things a little bit and say, I think it should sound a little better this way or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's probably I a sign of that intelligence. That Perhaps. <laughs> I don't You're know. trying to change Beethoven stuff? <laughs> I think you could maybe improve upon that a little bit. Well, not, uh, not intending to improve yeah, on it, but yeah, just right, where yeah. my ear was going. Well, yeah, it's kind of right. like a cook will look at a recipe and say, you know what, I think I'm going to do two cups of sugar instead of one. You just get to kind uh-huh. of experiment a little bit, right? Right. Uh, very interesting. So um, tell how did this whole idea come about because uh, this you know as we talk about this this is a a pretty big production that you're right. putting on there's going to be a lot of people more than just so than just yourself involved and right. uh, so what was the genesis of this okay so to at its inception i want to say that it was prayer first of all as kind of the inspiration i found a meditation that i've been trying to practice um on the passion of our Lord, especially the agony in the garden. It was written by Blessed Elena Guerra in the uh, late 1800s. And in fact, St. Gemma Galgani practiced this devotion every uh, uh, Thursday evening. Uh, And of course, her story is remarkable. Uh, But uh, in my case, uh, it's just been something that I've been trying to uh, follow after and, and improve myself doing. Uh, and, and so I've had, um, for a long time, but also especially with this, uh, something of a devotion that I've been trying to foster in myself towards a sacred passion. Um, and then uh, another piece of the puzzle that came, uh, came in was uh, I went to confession one time, and the good priest, he said to me, you should read St. Luke's Passion from uh, chapter 23, in particular St. Luke's Gospel, uh, and, and see how our Lord suffered patiently. And so I did that, and I thought, yeah, I don't do this so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, here he's going through all these torments, and he's praying for his persecutors, and I'm pretty much focused on myself mm-hmm. and things that are not going right in my own mind, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that was another piece of the puzzle, and that's why I chose St. Luke's text rather than, say, St. John's or yeah. St. Matthew's. Some people would think that uh, the synoptic Gospels, you know, the, the three other than John, pretty much telling the same story, but, you know, maybe a little bit of different variation. But mm-hmm. I guess the fact that you're honing in on Luke, there's mm-hmm. something about that one that is different and that really yes. connects with you that you want to communicate with people, right? That's right. And it's especially uh, Jesus's compassion for his enemies, that is is the sort of the main thing you see there. Not that you don't see it in the other Gospels, but it seems as if St. Luke had a focus on that. Mm-hmm. You see, for example, his uh, dialogue with the women of Jerusalem. And that's not found in the other Gospels, even the, the synoptics, or the other synoptic Gospels. Uh, 
And it's kind of an interesting, almost a little diversion from the main narrative. But you see in the dialogue that Jesus has with various people along the way, it's constantly a callback of uh, compassion and mercy. Uh, even when he's speaking to Judas, you know, he's kind of giving him a rebuke, but at the same time he calls him friend. Mm-hmm. You know, he he uh, is looking, even at that point, for Je- for Judas's salvation, you know, even though Judas doesn't go along with that. Yeah. But... Um, so, so there's a big push there, um, uh, and so I try in the way I express it in, in the music a lot, especially the words of Christ. There is two kinds, sort of two forms of compassion. There, there's the first one that is just sort of the genuine, from the heart, um, feeling sorry for another person and way sympathy almost. Um, and I have a theme in the music that is more of a gentler. Uh, use of Christ's words. And then following that, there's another kind of compassion, and that's a warning. You know, because, you know, if somebody's going the wrong way, you know, it's not compassion not to tell them, hey, you're, you're going the wrong way. Uh, for example, Christ says to the Jewish religious leaders, he says, but from henceforth you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power of God. Well, that's kind of powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not um, the same sort of compassionate message, and yet, it is a kind of compassion. It is a warning saying, this is what you're doing. This is what you will be dealing with. Uh, yes, I am the son of God. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and there's ramifications to that. Yeah. So this, uh, this is all written by you and very unique. This isn't, mm-hmm. uh, you know... Somebody like we're going to go see Handel's Messiah, and that was written many years. This is this is uh, original and mm-hmm. uh, never been performed before. Is that, that is right? Correct. Okay, yes, so this is right. a, the first. And um, uh, so I, I kind of want to paint the picture uh, for somebody like me who mm-hmm. I don't have really any musical talent and very little knowledge of music. But I, I see here in the in the information that you sent me, you call you say a polyphonic setting of Saint Luke's Passion for the uh, SATB. What what is that? Oh, okay, SATB is it's just one of those acronyms. Okay. It's used in the uh, musical genres for soprano, alto, tenor, bass. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> I was like, what does that say TB mean? Right. Yeah. So it's a okay. choir in four parts as opposed to, say, a choir in three, six, however many you have. If You, mm-hmm. you might have some music that's, uh, say, SSATB, and you have two soprano lines that are independent uh, with alto, tenor, and bass. Yeah. But in I, this I, case, I, it's just it's just four parts. No, oh, okay. Yeah. I've, I've never seen that before. I yep. learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, so you got the uh, SATB choir, string quartet, and then you also mentioned that uh, you, you, you're you going to have 12 or 13 singers. Uh, who are these people? Where did you find them? And maybe just kind of paint the, the picture of what people can expect when, okay. they, when they come on the 25th. Right, uh, the 20th. 20th, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, don't come on the 25th. <laughs> you will have missed it by five days. Okay, the 20th. The 20th, yeah. 20th right. Thank you. So the, the musicians, they're all local, which is really great. Yeah. Uh, they're Catholic musicians, which is also really great because when you believe what you sing, you sing it better. Uh, you know, you can have uh, professional groups. They're wonderful musicians, not putting them down in the least. But if you don't have that faith in your heart, yeah. then there's something missing. And yeah. it's just not the same. And let me if just interject real quickly because I, I, I've, I've interviewed actors before who play in like the life of Jesus or the, mm-hmm. the passion. And uh, sometimes they'll say, don't, 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 don't ask that person about their faith. They're not a Christian. And I think the same thing. I was like, yeah, you might be a great actor, but how can you play 
like an apostle mm-hmm. or, or somebody and you don't have it in you. But anyways, that, that's, right. <laughs> that, that's between them and God. But, uh, 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 but anyways, okay, go on. So right. yeah, tell us more. Right. So um, the musicians, uh, some of them are professionals. They, they do this for a living or at least they, they do it uh, professionally kind of on the side. Um, but they are usually involved with uh, parishes around the area as well. Uh, and, you know, they're uh, in a way kind of the core because, you know, they're really involved with that. But there are also uh, musicians from uh, what I might call just church musicians, not that they're only church musicians, but they're more like volunteers. They've had a lot of training and a lot of experience singing, but they're more singing at the parish level and not so much professionally. However, some of them are, in fact, uh, music directors or former music directors, and you know, they have a definite uh, music background. They're very excellent singers, and they sing far better than I do. You know, um, mm-hmm. and, and so <clears throat> I give them a lot of credit. Um, it is, anyway, so going to be this mix of a few professionals, including the music director at uh, the Church of the Incarnation, Eric Lewis. Uh, and then there are uh, uh, several others. For example, our assistant music director at, at Modern Day is participating, mm. uh, Kimberly Walters. Um, but also there's, there's just a lot of um, very good Catholic musicians involved with this. Yeah. So is your friendship with Eric Lewis, is that why it's at uh, the, the, the Church of the Incarnation at UD? Why, why that setting? Yes. Um, he, okay, so going back, he actually sang at my wedding with, with you know, when I was uh, married to Melissa, and we uh, uh, had a, you know, choir from modern day, but he also sang a tenor solo, uh, the Pontius Angelicus, and sang the, the Mass and, and various things, too. So uh, I've known him at least since that long, and actually going back a little farther than that at, at modern day, uh, and he was a student at UD uh, at the time. Uh, and so when I completed this, and you know, it had been, oh, maybe a few months to a year since he had returned to the area, and I thought, you know, I, I need to reconnect with Eric anyway. Mm-hmm. So I uh, sent him a note and said, hey, let's come over to dinner. I have some ulterior motives, but we need to, <laughs> we need to meet up again. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and so we did, and I showed him this. Uh, I have uh, uh, music notation software, so I'm able to play it back uh, just using computer-generated instruments, and you know, kind of gave him an overview of it. And he was excited, and he took it to his, his pastor and said, hey, we, we want to do this. I don't know too much about, you know, those conversations that he had with, mm-hmm. with Father, but Father was very excited, and uh, uh, pretty quickly it came back that, yes, we want to do this, but not only that, we want to make it liturgical in a sense. Yeah. And so we ended up with uh, Father's idea of, well, let's, let's combine this with a penance service and have individual confessions going on during this because uh, it, it would be a great... Uh, union of sacred music and uh, contri- and and a moment of contrition, you know, mm-hmm. to to really bring that out in people, and then have confessions available if, if people want to. Yeah, it sounds like a wonderful right. way, and, and it's right at the end of Lent, as going into into Holy Week, right? Right. Uh, Michael Drake is my guest. Uh, he and his wife Melissa and their children are members of Modern Day Latin Mass Parish in Irving. And we're talking about a sacred music concert and a premiere of St. Luke's Passion. 
for the SATB choir, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, right? Okay, I got that down now. And a string quartet coinciding with a penance service and individual confessions, Wednesday, March 20th, beginning at 7 p.m. at the Church of the Incarnation at the University of Dallas. And um, I, I see here that um, there is a... Benedict the Sixteenth Institute is sponsoring uh, this. I know who Benedict the Sixteenth is, but uh, tell us about the institute and how did they okay. get involved? All right, so I had been uh, fostering a relationship with that organization. First of all, they are uh, a fairly recent group. I think they got started around uh, 2018 or so, maybe maybe a little before then. Uh, and it is an uh, initiative by Archbishop Corleone in the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and uh, he recognized or noticed, let's say, that in our present day, the church is a little removed from sacred music. Uh, and in particular, it seemed that he was interested in the church as patron of sacred music. And so he wants to foster devotion through sacred music and uh, bring that back into the liturgy more and more. Uh, and so he founded a group called the Benedict XVI Institute, uh, and that is their their mission. They go through, they, they support various things. They have their own composer in residence, Frank LaRocca. Uh, they have a, a choir at their uh, area. I do not remember off the top of my head now who the director is, but uh, they are very active in following this mission um, that the Archbishop gave them. And so... Uh, I contacted uh, Maggie Gallagher, who is the executive director, and uh, we had, you know, we had met once here in Dallas before, and we'd had a few conversations. But she said, "Hey, uh, how would you like to have the Benedict XVI Institute sponsor this?" And I said, "Well, that would just be wonderful." <laughs> yeah. Yes. So. Yeah, that would be nice. Right. <clears throat> uh, so it's called the premiere, and I know a lot of work and time has been put into this. Is this something? What What's the future plan after? you know, March 20th and you finish this, is this something you might want to do in future Lent or uh, elsewhere, travel? What, what, what would you like to, where would you like to take this? Well, I don't have a particular plan myself. Uh-huh. Uh, I just will let it go the way God wants it to go and, and we'll see. Uh, naturally, every composer wants to have his music uh, sung or performed, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, of course, aside from it not always being practical, uh, I've, I've recognized from the beginning, this really is Jesus's project and he'll take it where he wants it to go. Um, just as I was ex- describing a minute ago with, uh, Eric Lewis and then father, um, this didn't come about because of me. Yeah. I recognize that, mm-hmm. uh, everything just has been falling into place. And so Jesus has a plan for this. Uh, I don't completely know what it is. It may end on March 20th and it may keep going. Yeah, so yeah. we'll see. And obviously you guys are practicing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably hard to get busy people all together. Yeah. You know? So how, right. how much like physical get-together mm-hmm. practices have you all done and will be doing? Right. So what we've done so far are two kinds of practice sessions, uh, full practice and uh, workshops. Now, the workshops were kind of like optional because a lot of the musicians, you know, they're professionals, they're very busy, they're doing lots of other things, and they can just kind of pick up the music, learn it on their own, and they're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I made the workshops optional, uh, knowing that they had very busy schedules, they were doing lots of other things, and also 
uh, they're just that good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so we've had, um, I say three, I think workshops now, uh, for just anyone, uh, who was involved, who wanted to come particularly for the choir. Uh, and those were just at my own house. Um, then we had a full practice with just choir on the 27th of January and that went phenomenally well. Uh, we all came together. Uh, probably the hardest thing was everybody getting used to my directing style, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but, yeah. but they just sang so well. And then we'll have a, one more, uh, practice, uh, in, uh, early March, uh, actually at the church, uh, with the string quartet as well and put it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll give father the opportunity to hear it because he said, yeah, I, I want to hear it, but I'm going to be hearing confessions on the 20th. So, yeah, yeah. So it'll uh, all be background to, to what he's doing. Right. Uh, obviously you put this all together. You want some people to come and that's why we're doing this interview. And of course we'll put mm-hmm. spots on the air to promote it as well. How else are you promoting it? Um, well, so the Benedict XVI Institute, uh, is promoting it. Uh, it has, uh, uh, email lists and, you know, its own uh, uh, followers and groups of people. And so they've been promoting it to that. Um, and, and otherwise, it's been kind of word of mouth, uh, a poster here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for myself, it's mostly just kind of a grassroots. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's probably the best way to do it. And for people listening right now, um, again, Wednesday, March 20th, uh, Easter is March 31st. And so uh, this is the the, the, is it the right before Palm Sunday? Is that what it is? The, the Wednesday before Palm Sunday? That's correct. In yeah. fact, it's the Wednesday of Passion Week. Okay. So there's Passion Tide, which, which begins two Sundays before Easter. It's the first Sunday of the Passion. Okay. And Palm Sunday is the second Sunday of the Passion. And so that, that little period of two weeks with, within Lent has its own designation of a special time mm-hmm. of, of Passion Time. And do people need RSVP, let you know you're coming, or just show up? No, just show up. Uh, you know, the only thing is it's not the largest church, so seating is, is limited to mm-hmm. the capacity of the church. Was it about maybe but I'm not 400 sure. or so? I'm, or? I'm going to guess a maximum of 300 okay. is, is about what I think, yeah. uh, but I don't know for certain. Um, All ages? Uh, oh, absolutely. All ages. There's also going to be a live stream as long as all my equipment works. <laughs> um, and uh, that is also published on uh, a website where I can, uh, I can tell you where that is in, in a second, uh, with all the different details, of just kind of about parking and, and coming in general. Um, there will be programs that have both the, the text of the sung passion, which is in Latin, and then an English translation on the other side so you can mm-hmm. follow along. Uh, but no, there's, it's, it's free. It's open to anyone, but it's just, you know, first come because seating is limited. Yeah. Do you, do you need any financial support? Are you a 501c3 or anything like that? Uh, no, no, it's, uh, kind of my own thing, but, uh, I've not really been looking for uh, okay. financial support either. All right. Okay. Very good. Well, uh, can't think of any reason not to go. This is a, a beautiful opportunity uh, at the end of Lent. Uh, again, Michael Drake is my guest from Modern Day Latin Mass Parish, Sacred Music Concert and Premier of St. Luke's Passion. Uh, he's going to have a soprano, alto, tenor, and bass choir, string quartet, 12 or 13 singers coinciding with a penance service and individual confessions starts at seven go about an hour and a half or so you think uh yeah something about like okay. that now, now it uh, the music should start around seven fifteen because there is the penance service to begin with 
Uh, and I'm guessing about an hour and 30 minutes. It might be a little bit more than that, but it's, it's okay. generally... Okay, you mentioned a website. you want to give okay, that out? Okay, yes. So uh, at catholicliving.net slash SLP event, that would have all of the information uh, up to date about What's this. SLP stand for? St. Luke's Passion. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I, you, got, you had me with that other one, so I want to make sure I understand this. Okay, so catholicliving.net slash SLP event. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, that's yes. right. Okay. Well, we yep. got to we gotta close out here because we're running, bumping up against the end of the time, but I want to thank you for coming in, Michael Drake. And again, uh, you can find details, catholicliving.net slash... Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Catholic radio for your soul. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.